need of healing in their bodies, let them receive it now, Lord. If there's anyone here today in need of healing in their finances, heal them now, Lord. I ask that you meet everyone here at their point of need. And even though we know it's already done, having asked and agreed, we receive in the Spirit. And while we're waiting, Lord, we just thank you for the peace that you alone can provide. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel good today. I feel good because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. That's a good thing. There's so many people that aren't. They're hurting. <clears throat> this weekend, of course, we celebrate the 4th of July, uh, America's Independence Day, independence from Great Britain, independence from tyranny and injustice and lots of things, but not freedom from order or honor or decency. Some of the things that people seem to be want, wanting to be free of these days. You know, this weekend should be similar to Thanksgiving as far as I'm concerned. So much to be thankful for. But many just see it as another holiday, day off, fireworks, barbecue, party, chance to indulge their vices, maybe just relax. You know those four F words, food, family, 4th of July, and fireworks. <laughs> but I wonder how much thankfulness is really being given to God for the freedom we enjoy in this nation, freedom from tyranny and government-controlled church, taxation without representation, things kids don't even know what that means anymore, prosperity that we enjoy in this country due to the godly, biblical values and principles it was founded upon and for. I remember 1976, I was 11 years old, the fifth grade, we went from Texas City to Houston to visit the Freedom Train. Never forget that, it was awesome. Just this train that was traveling around the nation, it had lots of our history on there. I remember it had a rocking chair that belonged to Abraham Lincoln and I remember seeing a lot of things about some of the founding fathers, the uh, you know Declaration of Independence, lots of Bibles made it important, uh, made a, an impression on me. <coughs> but our nation was founded with a godly heritage. It's important to talk about these things because the world tries really hard to disprove all this. <clears throat> but our founding fathers, as it were, were largely very religious Christian men who never intended 
for our government or our culture to be void of Christ's influence. As a matter of fact, they felt that democracy would never, ever work if Christian, godly, biblical influence were withdrawn or excluded. And that's, we're kind of playing that tug of war now. I always like to talk about the godly history and, and, and Christian roots of our nation during this time. Unfortunately, as I said, you're not going to hear these things taught anymore in our public school system. But this can change, and it should change. And I believe there's a big push and a lot of fighting going on to get these things back. <clears throat> the British, they blamed what was known as the Black Regiment for the American Revolution. It was made up of clergy. They weren't black-skinned. They were black-robed. The preachers who wore these black clerical robes were what they called the Black Regiment. It, they said that there would still be a happy British colony here in America today if it weren't for the preachers. They blamed the preachers back then. When the British went into New York City, they burned 10 of the 19 churches there to the ground, and they burned churches all over Virginia and elsewhere. And the preachers got the worst treatment from them. There was a man named Clinton Rossiter. He went to he was he he was a professor at Cornell University from 1947 until 1970 when he died. He wrote a book called Seed Time of the Republic. It was a very highly acclaimed book, many awards, etc. He had he had the one question: Where did these ideas that America came up with in this great Declaration of Independence and other founding documents come from? No other countries in the world were ever using these concepts except for the Americans, and it made America great, honestly. And where did it come from was his question that he was pursuing when he wrote this book. So he went about it systematically, researching and, and finding out who were the most influential people, and what he came up with was that there were six people who had profound effects on our nation at its inception. And of those six who shaped our nation, according to Clinton Rossiter, four of them were preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Reverend John Wise was one of these six men, these were the four preachers. He lived in Massachusetts from the 1680s to the early 1700s. Now, remember, we didn't enter into this uh, idea that we were going to be independent until 1776, right? So, 1680s to the 1700s. And by 1687, he had preached a sermon saying, All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Recognize that? <laughs> also, by 1687, a sermon saying, according to taxation in the Bible, it's clear that taxation without representation is tyranny. Another sermon by 1687 looked into all the biblical forms of government 
monarchies, republics, democracies, etc., and determined that based on biblical truths, it is clear that God's preferred form of government is the consent of the governed. Sound familiar? <laughs> of the people, for the people, and by the people. All three of these ended by being claused in the Declaration of Independence because in 1772, over 80 years after he had sown these seeds of the word in the colonies, the founding fathers took his sermons and reprinted them in a book which spread all over America. It had several reprints, and people were just gobbling it up and wanting more. And they were helping people to renew their minds or to think biblically, as we're instructed to in Romans 12, 1 and 2, about government, believe it or not. So John Wise is preaching all this in the 1680s, and in 1772, almost 100 years later, it gets introduced to Americans, and all these godly biblical ideas, four years later, end up in the Declaration of Independence. And it's probably no coincidence that, um, seeing how God works, that through his marriage, John Wise was a great uncle of John Adams. <laughs> so you see that are all tied into even Calvin Coolidge said that John Wise was instrumental in the writing of the Declaration of Independence, although he had been dead for many years. So see, when I, I did very well in, in political science and history in, in, in high school and college, I just thought, as I'm sure it was portrayed uh, to, to most of us and in my schooling, that the Declaration of Independence was just something that Jefferson locked himself in this room and Ben Franklin, those guys. I think I saw a film about that. They'd come around and talk to him once in a while, but really he was locked in there and he was just receiving this great revelation from God and everything. No, he probably had that book sitting on his shelf and he was revisiting all those sermons that had been passed around the colonies and the, and the teachings that had come from the pulpit and he used it to influence the entire doctrine um, or document and it was from God. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> there was a lady named Alice Baldwin, amazing woman from Duke University. She was the dean of women's undergraduate, undergraduate university in 1926, so she retired in 1947. And she fought for women's rights at the university, but she was a great historian. And she read probably more sermons, she said, than anybody in history from the American pulpit prior to that time in her research. And she was quoted as saying, there are 27 clauses in the Declaration of Independence, and there is not a single one or right that was asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been preached from the American pulpit prior to 1763, before it was ever written, see? So by the time we get to 1776, the Declaration of Independence is just a summary of the sermons that they had been hearing in church for the past several years in the colonies. Then the British attacked us. They sent 55,000 troops and 28,000 sailors to attack us. We were fighting, and when it started, it was usually the pastor, this black-robed pastor who was leading the church and the congregation out to fight and defend themselves and their loved ones and their towns. I'm making a point here. 
I'm just laying all this down for you so you know some of the truth about our history and our heritage and how it's all based on this. In the Battle of Lexington, it was the Reverend Jonas Clark who led 150 men from his church out to meet the British in battle. Reverend John Peter Muhlenberg preached a message from the pulpit in Woodstock, Virginia and quoted Ecclesiastes 3. Everyone loved it. Starting at the third verse, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for everything under the heavens. Remember that one? A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Then he took off his robe and he was dressed for battle with his sword on his side. And he led 300 men from that church who enlisted and they became the 8th Virginia Brigade. And George Washington himself asked him to take the position as colonel. He had a brother who was a preacher too, and his name was Frederick. And his brother did not, his brother Frederick didn't like that he had joined the militia. Well, then they went, the, the, uh, the English went to uh, Frederick's church and they burned it down, and so he joined up too. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> yes. The entire point of all this information is to show you that the church and Christians were not only a big part of the fabric of this nation's beginnings, but it was always intended to be that way and to stay that way. The first schools that were started way back before that, back at the, in the, in the, when the pilgrims came, were, were started to teach the children the Bible. Today, there's a, there are people, even there are Christians that lean on Matthew twenty-two twenty-one when Jesus was talking and he said, uh, render or give to Caesar those things that are Caesar's and to God those things that are God's. And they use that to, to say that, that, you know, there should be separation and, and that they're their, uh, their spiritual uh, service is private and their, their Christian life is private and that's not anywhere in here, I assure you. The Christian life is supposed to be anything but private. If it was private, then we would just be taken to heaven when we finally get saved to keep us from doing anything wrong again. But if you notice in that scripture, it says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's to God. It's not or. <clears throat> it's a conjunction there. God wants us to be involved in both arenas of this, this, this life. Amen? 
He wants us to grow, of course, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to renew our minds, and, and he, he wants us to, to learn the Word and to, to do all the things that we're supposed to do as Christians and follow after the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. He wants us to grow in our personal relationship with Him and to walk in agreement with Him. And He also wants us to get out of the salt shaker and into the world to influence them as his representatives, his light, his love, his truth, his integrity and his principles, salt and light to a sick and dying world. Amen? In Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter of the Bible, everyone is um, that <coughs> mentioned is, uh, is one that uh, the Lord says has great faith. And it's called the wall of faith sometimes. But all the ones listed in verse 32 were all involved in civil government in the world, not just in church. Amen? Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Why would God use them as examples for us if it was forbidden or bad to be in their line of work? You know? Scripture says pray in, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, first of all then, Paul said, I urge you to, uh, with, I urge that entreaties and prayers be made for all men and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and, and so you can put that as, as your, your government leaders and for all who are in authority, he said, so that they may lead a trink so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He wants us to pray, uh, first of all, for all of our, our, our leadership. There are five basic aspects to our culture that have great influence. And I say that and I look at, I look at young people and, and, and this is really the reason that this message and messages like it need to be preached all over the country because if they're not going to learn it in school, they need to learn it in church. If it has anything to do with us, God has something to say about it. Business, education, government, the media and entertainment, and the pulpit. Those are the five really most influential Aspects of our society, wouldn't you say? <clears throat> the Bible has instructions for every one of those. For business, for education, all of them. The law mostly came from godly principles. You understand? But also, in the Bible, you'll find instructions about architecture, the principles they use for all of that, parenting, Space, believe it or not, during the Great Awakening, or the First Great Awakening, I should say, between 1731 and 1755, preachers just preached what God said about current events from the newspapers. In other words, they read the newspapers, and then they would tell their people, okay, here's what's going on, here's what God says about it. There was a preacher named Tunis Wartman, in the early years of the of the U.S., he preached a message. Uh, it's, it was called "A Voice of Warning" regarding the ensuing election for president of the United States. He said there are two parties, two candidates 
And here's what each one says. And he, he laid it out for them. He said, so, based on the word of God, there is no way a Christian can in good conscience vote for this candidate in party such and such. And then that was it. In other words, based on their stances on these different things, here's what God says about it, and here's the obvious choice. Nowadays, preachers are afraid to do that. Or they were. They might take away my 501c3. Well, here's the, here's the truth about any preacher that will not preach what God tells him to based on fear of man. Stop preaching. You weren't called to it. If they take it away, let them take it away. Pay taxes. Who cares? It's better than being stifled. In America, this is how it was done for 350 years. They just did it just like that from the pulpit, no debate. So why the change? In 1954, there was a rider to an appropriation bill that slid through Congress without any real conflict or debate. It said, if you are 501c3, we need to edit your speeches before you give them. <laughs> we don't want you talking about political stuff anymore from the pulpit. Then the IRS reinterpreted that in the 60s and said, we think that it should apply to churches. But the church... The truth is, the church are tax-exempt without any letter from the IRS. We don't need a 501c3. The truth be known. We're in good shape here. <laughs> we have everything we, have everything we need. We, we're incorporated in, uh, in, the, in, in heaven and in the state of Texas. <laughs> we're in good shape. Amen. But a ministry or an organization apart from the church is different. They can apply those things to them if they choose. But they can't do it to the church because it's not supposed to be able to lose its tax exemption because churches are tax exempt because of the Constitution. Just a lot of people don't know that, and so they don't stand up for their rights. In Amos, it tells us that God's shepherds are supposed to be the plumb bob or the level of righteousness for the, the country, for the people. And this country was founded and built on the principle that that is the truth and that we're supposed to get our instruction and information uh, more from the church than from our government. In these times we live, people have become dependent upon the government and God doesn't want that. He wants them to be dependent upon him. And that's why you see all of these, these fights and arguments that you do is that, and when it's a Christian arguing for this, that side, then they're just misinformed or underinformed and they need to know the truth about God's word. God said he'll put you, he'll bless whatever you put your hands to. You understand the difference? It's not, how can you bless something that I haven't earned? You know, it's one thing for a hand up, but when you depend it upon the hand out, and that becomes a lifestyle, then you lose, you begin to grow dependent upon something other than God as your source. And that's not good for long term, see? But God has something to say about marriage, doesn't he? He has something to say about abortion. He has something to say about public religious expression. He has everything to say about education and all sorts of 
the issues of the day are all biblical issues. <clears throat> Portions of our culture, until recently, our government had decided that the church had to stay out of it. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. These were biblical issues way before they were ever social or political issues. And it's not for the, if it's not, if it's in the Bible, it's worth talking about in church. <laughs> it, it might be a little odd that this is all we're talking about today, but I think it's hugely important because it's something that, you know, with m the majority, I would say, of churches having boiled themselves down to 15 minutes of a message that's uh, guaranteed not to offend, and then you're dependent upon a small group where there's no anointed teaching and, 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 and no real leadership, <laughs> who knows what you're going to get, you know, to really be discipled. That's the pattern. That's, the, that's what those are supposed to do. And I'm not saying it can't work, but I'm saying it usually doesn't. The, the news media, our educational institutions, all the major influences on our culture need to be taken back by God-fearing Jesus-loving, Bible-based Christians who will share God's views and God's values and God's heart in all of the areas or arenas of influence in our culture. We need to always love everyone and let our love show and be known, but never, never, never be forced to call those things which are evil good. There's a difference. The world does not understand our, our ability because of our spiritual nature now to separate the sin from the sinner. They don't get that. They say, if you attack my sin, you hate me. And that's just not true. And we can't let them browbeat us into that same belief system because we know different. We know that it's the devil that makes people act the way they do. And the best thing we could ever hope for them as long as there's breath in their body is that the Lord get a hold of them, no matter what they've done or where they've been. And you see, that's different from the teachings of a lot of other things that are not of God. God's heart, His values need to be taught, and we need to be a part of that. Amen? It's great to be in ministry. I'm thankful. I'm honored. There's no higher calling as far as I'm concerned because it's my calling <laughs> to be a minister of the gospel. But not everyone is called to be a minister of the gospel. God has a plan for lawyers, for those in the media, for families, for stay-at-home moms, for, for those involved in health care, and for ministers of the gospel, and for politicians too, and for government programs, for the military for transportation, science, education, the economy, all in the Bible. And we need some godly men and women who will stand up and, and take God's side, who will stand at the crossroads of this life, as in Jeremiah 6.16, and ask God, show me the ancient paths, the good way, the godly way, and I will pursue it in every area of my life. That's what we need. Show me the ancient past. George Washington was so popular in his day 
And remember, there had never been a country here. There had never been a president. They say he could have been king. Think of the implications of that. <coughs> he was so popular. I mean, there was nothing, no government, no constitution, no president, no democracy. He could have just said, well, done pretty well for myself, and I, I am pretty smart. I think I should just run this thing. <coughs> and they say it was, it was almost guaranteed that the people would have made him their king. But he decided that he was a godly man. He wanted God uh, to be uh, involved in the leadership of this nation. He wanted what God wanted. So he looked to the word and to God in and, and prayer. And he decided the right way. And that's why we have the government that we do. It's not perfect because it's run by people. And when, it's, when things are not run by godly people, I'm not just talking about church folks. Not everything that calls itself a Christian is a Christian. And that's hard teaching sometimes. But it's just true. <laughs> but those who live in a real relationship with Jesus Christ and who try their best to live according to his teachings and that really know him and that put others above themselves. And we need that. We need that. And we need people who will teach that in the church and teach people that God is, God is not uh, offended by your job, you know. He wants you there to be an influence, you know. He wants you to go and, and be a godly influence in every aspect of our culture to take back all these things that we gave away as a society. Around the time of the Scopes Monkey Trials and all that nonsense, uh, the church just took a couple of black eyes, one after another. And people just, there was kind of a split in the church at that time. And people, a large portion of the church just began to withdraw from society. We'll just stay out of everything. We'll stay out of politics. We'll stay out of the media and entertainment. We'll stay out of, you know. And then in, uh, was it 60 or 61, they took prayer out of the school. They took the Bible out of schools. And we went from top of the world and education and literacy to near the bottom in just in just a couple of decades from that time. See a correlation? And but people that don't know God, it says those that don't have the Spirit of God do not understand the things of God, neither are they able to. So we don't hate them because of that. We want to get the truth out there. We want to help people to see the light. And, you know, I, I loved, uh, uh, what's his name, the vice president now? Pence. I, 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 you know, he always said, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative and I'm not mad about it. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not mad about it, though, because so many seem like, you know, so hard. And it's like, man, I, I got enough problems of my own. What do I want that for? You know, we need to be happy. We, the joy of the Lord is our strength, you know. The peace of God is the umpire in our heart. Man, who wouldn't want that if they really believed it? Praise God. I was going to go off into a, a 
whole nother thing today, but I'm going to spare you. I think y'all get it. I think you get it, right? You know, it's just not it's not your standard uh, it's not your standard sermon, but but this is important stuff. It's the roots, yeah. This this nation was founded. I believe that our nation was founded uh, by by godly people with godly ideals and ideology. Even the ones that the the public so uh, the the world so much tries to disprove. Oh, Thomas Jefferson wasn't. He did this and that. You know, he signed a document one time, uh, uh, and he signed in, in, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and, and I mean, he would do things like that. He may not have been walking in, in a good relationship, but even him and people like him and Ben Franklin knew the value of it. Even if they didn't choose it for themselves, they knew without this, this thing they were writing and establishing here was never going to work. And they, would, they said those things many times. That's right. That's right. My, my point is exactly that. Just like I said, when they took prayer out of the school and the Bible the next year out of the libraries, something's going to fill that void. That's like that term that was created, politically correct. Yeah, political correctness. You see, good manners and common decency and honor and respect and all those wonderful biblical values have been replaced with what they call political correctness, which is rude and ugly, all in the name of protecting the rights of those who are oppressed. But it's, it's, it's gone so haywire that I don't think they could even keep up with it now. They got these, these college professors in some of the most liberal colleges in the nation that, that they've kicked out of their own colleges <laughs> because they're white or whatever, you know. And they're like, what? I, wait a minute, I'm here teaching you how to be a socialist. <laughs> it's like, nope, you're out. Well, praise God. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna end it here. I believe that. Uh, I believe that we're in a good place. I also know that you know, no matter what people think about uh, the man that's in office up there, because he he can be silly. We know that. Wow. But God has intervened, and I believe that we have a reprieve here in this nation. And I believe it's going to be for 12 years. I, I believe that, um, I believe the prophecies, which from, from 10 years ago, Kim Clement and some of the others, that, that uh, I think he'll be there for two terms. And then I think actually Pence will be another. So I think it's 12 years. Uh, then there's going to be some really crazy things happen here in this nation. And so we've got a reprieve from God. And it doesn't mean that he approves of anything. It just means that he loves us and he heard our prayers. And I think it's time for revival in this nation. And we've got time now and we've got a little protection to continue to worship and to praise God and to lift our voice up and, uh, and, and not be persecuted by the government for it. And uh, thank God because I don't think we could have endured one more election the other way. I would have been in prison and so many more <laughs> like me. So thank God. We do thank you, Lord. <laughs> anyway, I love you all. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Amen.